Good morning. Hi. Sorry, this is a little further to get up to than at our old church. Um, the scripture reading this morning comes from John 1, verses 1 to 18, and is on page 6 of your bulletin, and reads as follows. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he, ha he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Well, it's a real treat this morning to introduce to you our guest preacher, Pastor Glenn Hoberg, and some of you will know who he is as he's preached and led many different parts of our ministry over the years. Some of you might not know him as he's, uh, as you might be newer to our community, uh, but Glenn is the lead pastor of Grace Downtown, one of the three uh, churches in the Grace DC network, and he's also a, a dear friend, someone that's impacted me in so many ways, and uh, I've learned so much about ministry and about life uh, together with him, but also from him. And so I'm grateful uh, to be able to share this gift of a brother uh, with you. And even recently, Paula and I were uh, talking about just how much we have benefited from being around Meg, uh, Glenn's wife, and Glenn, and their marriage and their family. And it's just been a personal blessing to us uh, and our family. And so it's a joy to be able to be in a church family, a ministry family, an extended family together. So this is family time, and so it's a pleasure uh, to introduce to you Glenn, and uh, how about you come on up and I'll say a word of prayer for you. Sorry, we didn't plan this little piece here. Um, sorry for that pause, um, but first let me pray, and I'm going to invite you to welcome him. Thanks, Glenn. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this brother, and we lift up your servant to you and ask that you would bless his labor in the word, his labor in loving your people, in even loving us 
in bringing these words to us. We pray that they would come alive. I pray that you would unstop our ears and remove any resistances that we might have towards you. And we know we all have them. That's just who we are. So we need the Holy Spirit to come and overcome our hearts and our lives. So speak truth and grace to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome Glenn Amen. together. Well, good morning. Um, I've gotten taller since the last time I've seen you. Uh, wow, what a great place. I just celebrate your new digs. These are great. Uh, love this. Praise God uh, for providing these places. Grace Downtown is actually set to make a move after 11 or 12 years, about five blocks away, down uh, to a new building. And so this year we'll have had three transitions, all three of our churches moving into new places. Um, but I am glad to be here. I really do embrace Duke's works about words about family, feel like I'm family, and I enter into that every time I come. And I was thinking about this season in my own family growing up. Uh, I grew up in a non-religious home, and so we didn't do Advent. We didn't do anything that was... Uh, Christian related, and after I became a Christian, I remember I knew enough to hit a service before Christmas Day, and I think I went up uh, in my room and read the, the passage, but it wasn't until much later in my life that the um, benefit and value of Advent came into my world. This uh, multiple weeks, four weeks to really think about the wonder and mystery of God coming into our world. So for those of you that have grown up in the church, um, I want to, I guess, uh, encourage you about the benefit that you've had these many years, if you came from a church like that, that you would really say, God has been kind to me, and renew your affection for that. I hope this season is doing that. And we've been dwelling on the same passage, a passage we could spend a year on, First John, and I know you've heard sermons about the glory of Christ brought by our brother here, and, uh, and then you've heard another uh, great sermon about the flesh, coming in the flesh. You, you guys have had two great sermons. Uh, these brothers have come and fed us, and uh, I want to speak with you this morning about Jesus Christ as life, as life. Uh, the, the title I gave is Born to Live, but I'll tell you, I don't like giving titles before I preach because I sort of decide uh, where I'm headed a little bit later. So if you don't hear the phrase born to live, don't uh, think, well, what's going on here? Um, we are going to talk about Jesus's life. And I simply want to look at two questions. What is this life and how do we get in on it? What is this life and how do we get in on it? Uh, so, um, you know, I think I'd like to pray as well. So let's do that. Father, thank you so much. Uh, every person here is her here by design. All of us, God, are too desperate to play church. Um, we're hungry and thirsty. We're needy. And you are amazing. You are gracious and kind and on the move. And we pray that you would meet each one of us where we need it. In Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, holidays, I think, are a time where people naturally begin to sort of weigh how they feel about their life against the background of the holly jolliness, you know, the, the, the sort of the happy, you feel this happy pressure right now that my life should be happy and joyful and look really good. And I think it raises the question of quality of life. This is a phrase that for the last couple decades has become a sort of, I would say, uh, normal everyday vocab for us. Quality of life. And I came across an article in Forbes magazine, and this was the title. It said, quality of life, everybody wants it, but what is it? Because everybody answers it differently. Th these were some of the things on the list. Researchers find physical health, psychological state, level of independence, family, education, wealth, religion, optimism, local services, employment, housing, environment, cultural perspective, personal goals, an ability to regulate negative thoughts and emotion. That's a lot, right? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure if uh, your pastors could add, they'd have their own. I know Duke would uh, mention professional basketball on a team not to be named. Uh, but, you know, there's all these different things that are meaningful to us. And the last line of the article says this, subjectivity appears to be fundamental to our understanding of quality of life, which means we can't agree on what a quality of life is. And I wonder, are we looking at the wrong place? Are we starting at the wrong place? When I became a Christian, something happened in my life, and that is my quality of life transitioned from being merely physical or emotional, it fundamentally became spiritual. That's how I began to think about my quality of life. That became the, the true north. And so um, I'd like to bring that before us because I think it's what the passage is saying to us. John mentions the word life some 35 times in his book. It's very much on his mind and it's very much on his mind because it was very much on Jesus' mind. Jesus talked about life a lot. He said, I'm the resurrection in the life. He said that he came to give abundant life. Then in chapter 5, he gives us this wonderful little summary of life when he says this, truly, truly. And when Jesus says, you're always supposed to listen to Jesus. But when Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, like, don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. Now, you may have noticed that Jesus put a little qualifier in front of his word life, eternal life. And at that point, I think most of us glaze over. Uh, we think about eternal life a bit like life insurance. It's nice to know I have it, but, you know, it's really not very relevant now. You know, it's, it's like down the road. Well, I want you to remember or recall, as you heard me reading that, that Jesus didn't say you will have life. He said he who believes has eternal life. You're already in possession of it. In fact, this is what theologians will call realized eschatology. 
It's a fancy way, a fancy word, right, Duke? Fancy word. Um, a fancy word that really, uh, well, let me try to put it this way. Did you ever have um, an opportunity to open a Christmas gift early, right? This is really what Advent's about. You know, we're, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus, but we're getting to open a gift early. And that gift is eternal life. Each one of us has the opportunity to open up eternal life now. Not later, but now, today, we can open it up. And so as we open that up, what do we find in that package? Well, there's a lot in that package, but let me mention two that John mentions. First of all, a judgment-free life. Now, I think at this point, many people in our city and culture will nod their head and say, I like that. Right? Because there's one sort of person we dislike more than anybody, and that's a judgy person. Don't be judgy. Right? We want the world to be planet fitness, a judgment-free zone. You know, um, you know no one, and I, that no one would pass judgment on what I think and how I act and what I believe and my desires and all that sort of stuff. But I want you to notice that that's really not judgment-free. That's being above judgment. That's you and I wanting to be the judge. And Jesus does say he has authority to execute judgment. He still gets to be the judge. But how is it that then we can stand before the judge and not be under judgment? This is really the glory of the gospel. We'll get there in a second. But I think in your heart of heart, you don't want to live in a judgment-free world, or rather a world that's above judgment. Now, recently, we've had this uh, heart-wrenching but critical, important campaign, um, which has been labeled the Me Too campaign, where uh, men who have misused their position in power to take advantage of women are being exposed this is a good, right, proper thing. It's not good that anybody be above judgment or act as if they're above judgment. I think all of us could agree on that. Amen? I think we can, right? But we then need to take it inside, right, if we're going to be humble. I mean, if, if God could go to every person in my life that's ever known me and said, have you ever experienced a harsh word from Glenn? Have you ever experienced Glenn basically cold to your needs? Have you ever experienced Glenn where you just felt like, you know, he wanted to spend time with you, but it was because he wanted to get something from you? I think there'd be a lot of me too's. I think there'd be a lot of people that would say, yeah, I've experienced that. And I'm guessing from your life, you would have that too. None of us can walk around and say, I'm above judgment. That would be to be hypocritical. So again, how does eternal life come to those that really are deserving judgment? Well, this is the glory of the gospel, that God's Son came into the world to bear your judgment. This is the wonderful, it's the bewildering thing about the Christian gospel, that the one who had authority to execute judgment endured judgment. That the one who should have been showered with blessing was seared with a curse. That the one who possesses all of life Submitted to death. This is the Christian, the Christmas good news before you this morning. And for all of us and any of us here that avail ourselves of that, there is grace 
upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. I could keep going on and on. God just layers on the grace upon grace. Which means there is not an ounce of wrathful anger for those that are not under judgment. There's not a spot of guilt or shame. There's not a hint of God's disappointment or regret. This is what it means to be judgment-free before the king of the universe. It's to be able to stand in heaven next to Jesus like Jesus. As Jesus stands in heaven completely righteous and free and received by his Father, so we too stand before the Father that way. And I think when we begin to open up that present, there's two things that we've got to grab onto when we reach into that box, opening up this present of a judgment-free life. The first is we stop living like God's ceiling of judgment is going to fall in on our lives. Um, any dreaders here? I'm a dreader. You know, I, I'm always dreading. Sometimes I want to chalk it up to maybe it's because I'm originally from Pittsburgh and I get some Irish blood in me. But, you know, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I see it so many times. My wife pokes fun at me the way that my family always is expecting the other shoe to drop. I remember, you know, several years ago when uh, the Steelers were on the verge of winning the Super Bowl. It was, I mean, like a minute left. I think we were 10 points ahead, and I called up my brother, and I said, I think we got this one in the bag. And he said, we'll see. <laughs> you know, it's just that sort of mindset. You know, you're always waiting. It reminds me when I was watching, uh, when I was a kid, there was a cartoon, Gulliver's Travels. And I know you got to be a little bit older to remember that one. But there was this character, Glum. Glum. And he lived up to his name. I mean, you know, he, he, the only thing he ever said, and he had this sort of voice, he'd say, we'll never make it. You know, and stuff going, we're done. We'll die for sure. That's all he, these are all the things that he said, right? And, uh, you know, I have to say, many Christians I know were like that. I mean, a minute after we receive God's blessing, we think, well, where's the, when's the bad news going to come? Because I got the blessing. Think about how crazy it is. Imagine it's Christmas Day, and you give a child you love a gift, this wonderful gift, and uh, you give them this gift, and then immediately they, they open up, play with it, and then they go sit in time out. And you're like, well, what are you doing? Well, they say, what? Well, you gave me a good gift, so I expect you were going to punish me next, right? But this is how we navigate our lives with God. But the gospel has told us, right, ding dong, judgment is dead. Like the lyric in the song, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Even when God brings discipline into our lives, it's never punishment. It's corrective love. God do you understand this, believer? God can only operate in love with you. It's the only way he can. So I think it helps us to stop believing that. The second thing is I think it helps us to stop believing that God is gunning for us. Uh, you know, the, the late uh, comedian Rodney Dangerfield, maybe you remember, he was the guy that would always say, I don't get no respect, I don't get no respect. And I remember one of his lines, he said, I don't get no respect. You know, Christmas, my wife bought my son a bow and arrow set. And she bought me a shirt with a bullseye on it, right? <laughs> it's this idea that, you know, he's always... And, and I think many Christians feel this way, or many people, just even their understanding of God, whether you profess to be a Christian or not, 
But you need to understand this. When you enter into this relationship with Christ, the only thing God is shooting at you is goodness and love and blessing. I mean, you know, this is his paintball gun. You know, he, this is what he's hitting you with. And so a judgment-free life, begins. we begin to think differently. But a second thing, it's not just a judgment-free life, it's a beloved life. Now listen what he says here in this passage. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then later he says, but God gave the right for those to become children of God. So my wife and I just finished up the second season of the show Stranger Things. I don't know if any Stranger Things fans here, but you know, I'm not, yeah, there we go, okay. I'm not going to ruin it for you if you haven't watched it yet. But one of the kids uh, gets so, uh, he gets possessed by this dark alien force, so much so that he can't even recognize his mother. And that really uh, is the effect of sin upon all of us. No matter how good you are, how smart you are, how accomplished you are, Sin has the effect where we cannot recognize our creator. We cannot recognize the God that made us. This is what we're told here. The world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. What sort of you know, bewitching has happened to us? Where we can't even see the plainest thing, the God that has made us, who has loved us. But in the show, this isn't spoiling again, but when he comes out of it, maybe a little bit, when he comes out of it, <laughs> he hugs his mama. First thing he does, he hugs his mama. And this is what happens with the Christian gospel. When you come to understand the Son, Jesus Christ, the first thing you see is Abba Father. When Paul gives us a little version of the gospel in the letter of the Galatians, he says this, that Jesus Christ was born of a woman to redeem those who were under the law, who were under judgment. Why? So that they might become sons and daughters and cry out, Abba Father. Sons and daughters that cry out, Papa. The reason that Christ came was because God was starting a great adoption initiative, bringing sons and daughters into his family. And so what it means for you and I to understand this is I begin to operate, I begin to relate to God as a beloved child. You know something? A, a parent can love their child. A parent loves their child, but the child has to reciprocate, right? A child, my child can live in the house as if they're not being loved by me when they are loved. John labors in a later letter where he says, Beloved, see what kind of love the Father has. What kind of love do you think that God has for you? Do you think it's an up and down love? Do you think it's a stock market love, you know, where it's up and down? Do you think it's a, he loves me not, he loves me. What kind of love do you think the Father has for you? John says, look at that, that we should be called children of God. You can't be called a child of God with that kind of, without that kind of love. They go hand in hand. If you're a son or daughter this morning, through faith, you are loved that way. I know sometimes we look around the room and we think, I look at that person's life and, man, God must really love them a lot because their quality of life seems really good. You see what we're doing there. And so how do we open that present? 
Well, we live as holy, dearly loved children now. We begin to have to even preach and say to ourselves, I'm a beloved child of God. I've said this before, but you know, it's much easier for me to believe that God loves you than it is that he loves me. Just that way. And I have to, I have to work to know that. So if you want to see your quality of life go through the roof, start by understanding what it means to have a judgment-free and beloved life. But let's move on. How do we get it? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Uh, let me see a show of hands. How many of you remember the day you decided to be born? <laughs> not many of us, right? I'm not seeing any hands here. That's good, right? No one decides to be born. The virgin birth, which we celebrate this time of year, uh, was a unique and miraculous event, but it was also an instructive event. God goes and he creates life in that womb where there wasn't life. He has to do that with every person that he comes to know. He has to move in and give life to people. This is what he does. And this is where there was this sort of tussle happening because many in Israel at that time had forgotten the source of their life. John mentions it. They had come to believe that their life came from their life blood. It came from where they descended, their heritage, their lineage. Or it came from their will and their dedication. They began to think, that is the source of my life. Just like many of us or many in the city seek to find life through who I might know and what group I might be attached to and how hard I work and how I make my mark upon the city, that's what we're trying to do. We think the source of life is what I bring to the table. And they had to understand that only God can make people spiritually alive. You know, going to church can't make you spiritually alive. Taking an eat, pray, love pilgrimage around the world cannot make you spiritually alive, right? Nothing we can do can make you spiritually alive, but this is the good news. God made him life. So you get him, you get life. Uh, and, and this is what we have to notice. He doesn't talk about just life. He talks about his life. God implants his divine life into you. Second Peter would say that we have, we participate in the divine nature. Jesus was all about giving people life. When you read the Gospels, that's what he does. He's just giving life to people all the time. You know, to a woman at a well, to a religious leader who doesn't know anything. Jesus has so much life to give. He has so much life to give. He is life. Um, you know, what, what kind of life do you need from him this morning? He's willing, desiring to give you that life. But it also means that each of us are alive by grace. This was such good news because it happened in Israel that the message came to be, if you're going to be alive, you've got to be my culture. You've got to be my ethnicity. You've got to be in my club. And by the fact that it was no longer dependent upon those things, it meant that you got alive by grace. I mean, it can't get any better than this. If you were wanting a quality of life, right? If you are wanting life itself, what I'm telling you is this morning, God is saying to you, he will give you his quality of life and he will give it to you free. 
It doesn't get any better than that. I don't know how to offer anything better than that. He will give you his quality of life, and he will give it to you free. This is the life that you and I have. But how do we know? Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a sign that we've gotten hold of this, and I think it's humility. I've noticed in my life that the longer I've been a Christian, God has been just, you know, we, we've gone through low places. I've shared with you before, my wife battles chronic illness. We've been in the hole for, I mean, years at times. You know, the kind of things where you're praying and going, I don't know if there's any reception here. But I've lived it long enough to know that he's going to fruitify my life. He blesses our lives and my quality of life. I, I see the favor, and here's what happens. I'm enjoying that favor, that quality of life, and I'm, I'm going over my mind all the ways God's blessed, and then maybe I think about someone who's rejected God, and I begin to think about their life and the struggles they're having, and I find myself getting a little puffed up in pride. I don't know if you have that experience where you think, you know, God just likes me better. Yeah, I must be doing something right. I must be doing something right. Instead of going, only by the grace of God, I go. Only by the mercy of God, I go. The reason my life is enjoying such favor is because of him, because of grace. And if you're looking into the Christian faith, John means to save you a lot of time this morning. Because you're obviously you're here because you're looking for life. And amen for that. But if you listen to the world, what's going to happen is they're going to tell you to find life in lots of different ways. It's going to be a pilgrimage. It's going to be working into it. It's when you get your life together. Fill in the blank. Even you might enter some Christian churches. You might feel like, this is what i got to do to get life. And John wants to save you that time and say, no. What you, all you need to do is lift your voice to, go, to God and say, God, I'm spiritually dead. I have, no, I have no life without you. Would you give me life? This is how beautiful the grace is. But how do you know when that life has come? Well, you know, for those of you that have had kids or you've ever watched a movie or a scene with a kid, right, what's the big scene? The mother, of course, is like wailing, toughing it out, and then there's that silence, and then you hear, the birth cry, right? That was the baby, baby's cry, by the way. Be like... What, like the nurse opened a door, there was a cabinet. That was a baby's cry. And how do you know that? Well, the birth cry of someone that has new life is faith. That's the birth cry. It's faith. Now, Jesus had some intense arguments with the religious leaders about this. Uh, they would say, don't you know that we're sons of God because we come from Abraham? We're descendants from Abraham. And Jesus would say, but who was Abraham? He was the father of faith. And before Abraham was, I was. And Abraham was looking forward to my day. And so, faith. Consider how much Israel believed when Jesus showed up on the scene. They believed in Moses. They believed that God had spoken in the Word. They believed in the Ten Commandments. They believed in the acts that God had done. They believed in the prophets somewhat. You know, they believed that a Messiah would come. They didn't believe in Jesus. Why is that? Because you can believe in the wrong way. You can have the wrong kind of faith. 
And John wants to help us out here. He tells us two things. First of all, he doesn't just say faith being intellectual agreement. Faith, he says, is to believe. And that word believe means personal trust. Personal trust in God, which means i got to ask myself the question, you know, am I in this thing? As I think about my faith, is it mostly, yeah, you know, I like this faith. I like its morals. I like, I think there's some wisdom in there. I like how it frames the world. I'm down with this idea of a Christian worldview. The question is, for you then, do you trust him? Like you trust a person in your life. Who do you trust the most? you trust God like that? It's personal trust. But then he also says receive, which means to welcome or submit to. And I think that then brings a challenge to us on another side. And that is, is faith for me, well, we'll just call it feel-good faith. You know, faith to me is this idea of when God is, when I'm happy with God. You know, there's a, there, there's a thing where we have a tendency, right, to to want to sing psalms and read passages and read books that reinforce what we already believe, right? We have this thing. In fact, you know, every age, when you think about the hymns we sing, you, you also notice there, there are these glaring things that we're missing because we've all fallen to these tendencies. But anyway, you know, am I someone that says, you know, I love this part of the faith, but then there are parts of the Christian faith that, that really repulse you? And the challenge then for you is, is my faith, does it submit to God? Does my life submit to God? Does my mind submit to God? And so he gives us this idea of faith. C.S. Lewis said, and I think it was printed in your reflection quote. They asked me for three reflection quotes. I was like, man, oh man. Do you all think I'm reading in my spare time? But I gave you two. I mean, this, this guy, anyway, I gave you two. Three is just, anyway. But C.S. Lewis, you never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood become a matter of life and death to you. That's a good word. Okay, here's what I want to say to close, and that is this. Um, the challenge I think we have before us is we got to look at our lives and go, did I get into this thing because I wanted a certain quality of life? I already had the list. Whereas I was growing up, the list was developing, and I was saying, because I, I see this a lot with people, where they begin to sort of turn away from the faith because they had this quality of life they were after and God didn't deliver. Or is your quality of life Jesus himself? And the reason that's so important is because when you begin to taste him, it helps us to wait. We're talking about Advent, right? The second Advent of Jesus, waiting for him to come back. You know, it's much easier, to use a wedding analogy, you're at a, you're at a wedding. It's a lot easier to wait for the feast because, right, the bride and groom take all those pictures after the wedding. You're getting hungry, you know, and you had as many conversations as you feel like you can have, and you're getting hungry. It's so nice when they say, after the ceremony, we're now going to move into the cocktail appetizer hour, right? You get a little something before the feast. Well, God is, you, know, you and I don't need to wait for the eternal life feast. We get to open up and eat. And if we don't open it up now and eat, it's going to be very hard to wait. So he's given eternal life now. So let's open the present. Let's open it early like we're supposed to. Would you pray with me?
Father, we give you thanks for how generous you are. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I pray for everyone here that um, you would help them to open that package and um, you would delight them with the life that is in your son. In Christ's name, amen.